We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike, who just took a flight to Memphis this morning along with the team. Mike, how is the flight? Uh, what's what's the mood of the squad? Uh, fine. You know, nothing really to report, honestly, from the flight. I, I think that heading into game five, it's a little different from where the Lakers have been in playoffs past, where they've, they've more often than not been the higher seed. And game five is sort of that, that pivotal, all right, we're the better team by now, and here's why. And it's a little different when you're going into a home arena for game five, when the desperation that the Grizzlies had in game two is obviously going to be there. And for me, it's really just all about how much of the early energy can the Lakers match and then how how close can they stay in order to get into more of an execution game uh, and kind of see which guys can step up around LeBron. And he's the biggest question, certainly, when it comes to the Lakers having played an overtime game and and he having to expend so much based on what else was going on in that game. So I, I think that the mood of the team is that they definitely don't want to come back to Memphis and, you know, they, but it's a little bit of a tricky mindset when you go into game five, knowing that you have game six at home and still bringing the requisite level of energy and the requisite level of desperation and all of that to match what the home team's going to have. So I, uh, I, I think that the Lakers have enough to do it, but it's, it's just one of those mental types of games. That's tough to get yourself um, in that in that full closeout as if it mm-hmm. were a home closeout, which we just saw Boston screw up. And as we're recording, we're seeing Phoenix at the half was screwing up. And then Denver um, did not come out in their home game five, you know, with the requisite energy. So it, it's been a little bit more like of the of the other teams that have been able to do it. So uh, interesting to see how the Lakers start. Mike just made a really good point about the Lakers and their sort of collective age, particularly around LeBron and an overtime game, 
Memphis played an overtime game too. And so how much do you think that matters? I was just looking at their minute totals. So Dylan Brooks played 41 minutes. Jaron Jackson Jr. played 42 minutes. Xavier Tillman played 41 and a half minutes. Desmond Bain played 47 minutes. John Morant played 44 minutes. I get that young legs and everything else. Um, but they also have the pressure and stress of an elimination game and everything mm-hmm. that goes goes with that. I'm not trying to be biased here. I'm just asking and, mm-hmm. and sort of frame it a particular way like, aha, but it's something that I've been thinking about. Yeah, it's important to frame it in both ways. I think, you know, Vegas agrees with the idea that the Lakers, you know, four and a half point underdog in this one. And that is, I think, totally reasonable. And I, it is reasonable to think that the younger team is going to be less impa- impacted by playing in that overtime game. That said, one of the great game fives uh, I can remember is 2009 in the Orlando finals. And that was the one of the major, like, close it out in five on the road series I can think of. And that game started, the Lakers were actually down by double digits in the second quarter. And I think this speaks to your point, Mike, about that whole withstanding the early run? Can you match or get close enough to a level of early energy to get it to that point of the game where it's like, oh, this is a game you're going to have to out execute us uh, and not just have them, you know, blow the doors off of the game early on, which is a possibility if you don't bring that requisite energy. That Orlando game, I thought, was a great example of that. Lakers go down, you know, by 11, 12 points. But once they start putting pressure on that younger team that had the legs, you have D Fish, Kobe, that wasn't, those weren't spring chickens, but they started feeling that pressure that Darius was talking about. And then you saw the Lakers really take it, take control of the game in that way. Yeah. It's definitely important to note that just because Memphis is younger and just because they're a little bit bigger, a little bit more physical, at least in like the guys that they're playing, that doesn't mean that they aren't tired too. And that they didn't spend a ton of energy trying to desperately get that game mm-hmm. for them. So they also they also have to come back with a mindset knowing that if they don't bring it, then they're done. And not only that, but if even if they do win, then they have to go back to L.A. So it's it's not as simple as, oh, it's Memphis. It's game five. It's home. They're definitely going to win because the energy is going to be a blowout. I, I don't think it's that. Um, I, I just think that it's the it's the first wave that you have to try and think about from a veteran perspective, like if you're the Lakers as to how Memphis is going to come out. Cause I don't think that they can sustain a 48 minute energy game like yeah. they did in game two. Uh, when at that point, like they could tell, they could sort of convince themselves evening things. Hey, we'll go to LA and get one. Well, they went to LA and they didn't get one. And that just has to affect the psyche to some extent. So this is where the, I then, I then think about what are the clear advantages that either team has at this point in the series? Like what are the things that uh, that one of the teams can get to in their screen roll offense or in the way that they're defending, like all of those things. And I, Pete, I wanted to kick that to you. And I'm, I'm sure Darius has something on this as well, but like, is there a bread and butter yet that, you know, by game five has been kind of figured out that the Lakers can either spam on offense and or that they know that they're going to be able to get away with on defense? And can that be the thing that makes the difference in game five? So they have a couple of actions. Uh, those double drag screens have served them very well throughout the series when they want to run stuff, particularly through D'Lo or Austin. Uh, LeBron looked like his old old stealth down the stretch of game four as that power ball handler. That That's something that I don't see them spamming that necessarily in a game five over and over and over again. Uh, but I, 
the Lakers have several different options in terms of what they can do. But the place that it starts for me, D, is you sent us a uh, text message. I woke up to a text from you this morning of a screenshot of Anthony Davis being triple teamed when he had the ball. And AD's game and what that looks like, to me, this is an AD game. If the Lakers are going to win it, it's very likely that AD has a, you know, a 30.15 rebound type of game uh, to to kind of help carry the team in in that manner. Uh, but in order to get to that, they are going to need to use some of the attention that Memphis is giving him against them. And so I was talking to someone today. Uh, we were, you know, about just one more ball fake, one more pass, just one more. You've got Jackson especially goes so hard for these block shots that there is a way to use that against a defense. And so I'm just curious your thoughts on that, because I know how passionate you are about getting AD the ball, the requisite touches and all of that. I think that you got to kind of get them off of him first. Yeah, I also think that some of this comes down to where is he making his catches and what's the goal of the touch in the first place, right? And so the screenshot I sent you, AD is one foot in the paint and there's about seven feet in the paint from the Grizzlies, (laughs) right? And so the closer and closer he gets to the paint, the more attention that he's going to draw. I thought AD did not play well offensively in game four. But the two critical plays that he made are, I think, the plays that are the roadmap for him having success in this upcoming game five. One was a peel back pass from LeBron James to Anthony Davis, and he squared up a 20-foot jump shot in sort of like a pick and pop idea. It really wasn't a pick and pop, but LeBron just got down downhill and AD stayed behind in the wake and he got a clean jumper and he went up with no hesitation and just shot the ball, Pete. The other possession was he trailed in the wake of a driving guard and as Jaron Jackson or whoever went to go contest the shot, then AD's got two guards on him and he is and he's able to get a tip in both of those plays were not actions where he was just sitting in the paint and letting guys lean on him or try to surround him which i think is is if he's just standing around a lot and especially close to the basket it's going to be hard for him to be effective because they're just going to swarm him and crowd him And so that idea of using the attention that they're giving to him against them, a part of that is like, well, stay out of pocket a little bit before you jump into the fray, right? And and, and so one of the things that was super successful when he had his lone, like really big scoring game of the series was he was getting his catches near the top of the floor and then working off of the dribble in order to attack down downhill. And it was much less this stagnant approach. Um, so I kick that back to, to you guys. Yes, I am get AD the ball, get AD the ball. But what's pretty clear at this point is that if you just try to post him up or screen and roll him where he dives into the paint and then you're trying to shovel him the ball, 
like they're going to collapse on him and they're going to make his life hard. I'd much rather see him sort of on the perimeter and then flowing towards the paint, either with a live dribble or in the wake of someone who is using a live dribble in order to get to the front of the rim that way, because that's where he is much more difficult to guard. He still has that dexterity and finishing ability from all of these different angles on the move that is difficult for anyone to guard, even an elite defensive player like Jaron Jackson Jr. I went on and did a radio hit earlier today in uh, in seven ten, and they were you know the conversation was about Anthony Davis, right? And and there, it seemed like the one sometimes it gets set up this way, and and I'm not saying I didn't used to do it some when I was hosting daily radio, but it's like are you right. are you pro AD or anti AD? Like based on the last game, and and you know my my response was to be AD's been the best player in this series. Uh, period. I know that he struggled offensively in games two and games four. He's got a basically a plus nine net rating. Uh, the the Lakers are first in the Western Conference or right there kind of with Phoenix in net rating overall in the playoffs so far. He's the biggest reason why. Memphis is their whole yeah. game plan seems to be AD centric. Uh, certainly on the defensive end, the way that they're the, the way that they're swarming him and, and the things that they're sort of that Taylor Jenkins is emphasizing and he's absolutely the piece that they have no answer for on the other side as they're trying to score. So I'm now in this, in this range of, on the one hand, Anthony Davis can be, and should be a, at least a little bit more aggressive um, when, when he gets the ball. And even if, even if they're devoting all these resources to him, he could go a little quicker. He could go into contact a little bit more. Like he could, he could do that better, but because of the way that they're playing him, there are also some things that are open and some counters that the Lakers should have around that. And they shouldn't try to just completely force it um, into him. So it is a, it is a, a difficult thing. Um, I ultimately end up on the side of exp- like ov- giving him his overall grace and acknowledging that he's the best player in the series, but, you know, asking a little more. Um, in this kind of a game. And we said that on last night's pod, like he's going to be the difference because he is the one guy that can raise that next level. As much as Rui Hachimura has raised his game, you know, he finally had came down to earth in terms of shooting LeBron to have him try to carry that much uh, for another day. I think is a lot to ask. Austin is doing, I think as much as he can and should be doing right now, because they'll see a little bit more Dennis and, and he was certainly much better last game, but you know, AD is the, is the difference maker. And, and so Pete, what are the places where AD and the actions in which he can get going, or is it less so X and O and is it more just mentality uh, from him going into game five? I think mentality is always the starting spot for that. Uh, but I, I think what Darius was saying about just getting him the ball further away from the basket at least more often is one of those things that can kind of get him going and that that like handling the ball I think gets him into a certain level of rhythm that is super helpful to his game and so yeah I think that that's something that there's that and then there's also you know use just a, a ball fake and reverse the ball the other direction you're going to have some opportunities and when AD did get on track as a scorer in the last game he was stuck at four points for a, a ton of time he ended up with uh, with 12 or 13 in part because he was getting putbacks right and so that's something that if you're moving the ball the right way that big's going to have inside position on the boards AD's great at working for that even when he doesn't have it and so AD's manner of scoring and 
it's so diversified that it can be this on-ball perimeter player, this post-touch guy, or this guy that crashes the offensive glass or rolls to the basket. And so just finding within the defensive scheme that that the Memphis is playing where the holes are, I, I think that there's opportunity there. But it certainly starts with mentality. I wanted to shift gears to something that worked for Memphis in this last game, D. Oh, was, I, I thought you were going to shift gears to commenting on Boston's um, game <laughs> five. But guess, Funny that is they have a different personality than they have uh, last than they had last year. To be continued on that topic for sure. Let's take talk about Memphis first, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, Bane. Bain had 36 against us, and I thought he had some physical advantages against Austin that they exploited. And I don't know, man. He, he getting away from with some uh, off arm contact quite a bit, uh, but uh, yes, Darius, that is something that I think Memphis is going to continue to look to exploit because they've had very few things work for them offensively, and so I think they got a little crack of daylight with the the Bain matchup there. So I'm curious your thoughts on him. No, he's just one of the things that they that Memphis has done really well with Bain. I think and when he scored well is to use him on curls and to try to get him downhill in pick and roll actions a little bit more. Right. And this is the issue. And it's one of the reasons why Memphis won the game in which jaw did not play. It's because Bain and Tyus Jones are threats as pull-up shooters and it necessitates going over the top of screens. Like it's hard to go under against those guys. And so Bain is benefiting from guys being in, in a trail position a lot. And he he's got the type of release point where he's shooting it from in front and he's hard to get back contests on. And he's got those short arms too, which I think aids in that as well, where he's not putting the ball up high or behind his head at all, where, where he can really be, will be bothered there. And he's a wide body dude. And so to even get close to him, like Austin was doing a really good job. I think, in the earlier parts of the series of bothering Bane and getting a piece of, of his jumper when Bane was coming off of screens right. to shoot the three. He's curling and he now. has adjusted, yeah. credit to him, that he is curling more now. And when you curl more, it necessitates the big engaging. And AD does not want to engage that. He he understands he, he he's going to need to get back to the rim. He's going to need to rebound. And he's going to want to protect against Tillman and Jackson when those guys slip inside. And, and so it is a tricky situation, Pete. Like, like, I think a part of it is just AD needing to be the supernatural defensive player that he can be and just letting his instincts take over on where the right place to be is on any given possession. He chooses right so often, but in this last game, I thought Bain was able to take advantage by getting into pull-up and runner territory, and he's just a good finisher 15 feet and in. So it's it's that cat-and-mouse game that, that I think that everyone's going to need to just be that much tighter defensively. I like, I'm not saying I, that's not a great solution, but I think it's really the best shot that the Lakers have. They want (laughs) their defense is also skewed towards this, Mike. They want guys to play in the mid range. And these are the shots. The defense is typically comfortable giving up. Just quick thing. And I think I I want to bring Ja into this conversation too. So even last game, Bain 
scored effectively, certainly, but he took 29 shots and also mm-hmm. seven free throws to get his 36 points. Like, you know, Ja was eight for 24. And even though AD is AD is manning the paint, like they're they're getting out enough. Um, I think that like that's not a major concern for me. What happened with Bain is actually all down <laughs> to something that happened on press row. And I won't out this person because he's a he's a friend of mine. But in the first quarter, this person looked over at me mm. and said, I don't know about Desmond Bain as a playoff player. I think he was like one for four. And I was like, Are you nuts, dude? Desmond Bain's good. <laughs> and and from that point on, it seemed like he hit every damn shot, basically. And of course he didn't, right? But he scored 11 points in the second quarter. Um, in the third quarter, he scored nine. And in the fourth quarter, he scored, uh, what was it? It was like 14, I think. Yeah, 14. Yep. And then he finally started missing shots, right, later. He missed about four decent looks as his legs because he was defending and because he is taking such a high volume of shots again, 29, that's a lot for almost anybody. So I I thought that overall, like the Lakers made him work uh, and he's a really good player, um, but like defensively and where, like where the Lakers sort of like to kind of decide to deploy their, uh, their resources to me is, is a, of lesser concern um, than on the other end of the floor. But a concern nonetheless, for sure. Uh, and I think game five is going to be a little bit different. I, I think you're absolutely right about that. Let's take a break, come back, keep talking about uh, this series, and then maybe get into a little bit of the NBA playoffs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The one last point I really wanted to make about this this game, because these teams know each other fairly well by now, and all the tactical stuff is going to play out. There might be a wrinkle here or there, but but we sort of know it now. One of the things that hasn't happened yet, and it's only happened in little spurts, D'Lo hit some shots. We just talked about Bain making some shots. Are Do you guys see any of these teams, either of these teams, 
making enough jump shots to basically just say like this game is ours because for all the stuff that we just talked about Anthony Davis I actually think one of the ways the Lakers can win this game is LeBron made four yes. threes D'Lo made four threes or even Memphis jaw hit five threes or bang or canard this has been such a slog yeah. of an offensive series where two really, really yes. good defenses have basically just been punching each other in the face over and over again. That it's like, can one of these offenses break out? And that's sort of what I'm looking for. And so I just wanted to raise that idea to you guys before we maybe transition to around the NBA stuff. No, one of the things I like about our team, Mike, is that they don't have to shoot really well to win a game against a good team. That said, they have the capability. And they did that to a great degree in game one, right? They had a lot of shots in in game one. And so I think this is a game where they're going to have to shoot decently well. I don't think this is a game that they can shoot poorly and still get the victory. Well, I mean, you guys see what LeBron's shooting the last uh, what is it? three games from three in the series. So, well, he started out three for eight in game one since then. One for eight, oh for four, for one for seven. Yeah. So two for nine, two for nineteen from three, and this would be the precise kind of game that you need LeBron to hit some of those threes and just open things up for him because they're they are available to him. Those are those are shots that he can get basically any possession that the Grizzlies are going to allow it. Uh, they're you know he's got he's got X amount of drives at the rim. And the way that he saved them was just brilliant. Like basically one to force OT, one to give the Lakers an edge in OT, and then one to seal OT. Those were the three times that he put his head down and did what he's done for 20 years. And that's ultimately still the best way to score. And I also, by the way, I always found this about Kobe was an underrated element of Kobe's game, where we think of all like the, the contested fadeaway jump shots. Yeah, That dude was a monster finishing at the rim off the dribble. And he would crank those out when he needed to also. And he would take contact and sometimes it'd be a reverse and sometimes it'd be with English off the high window and, and all that. But, you know, LeBron's only got so many of those. So, like, he's got to hit some threes and they have not been going down. I'm, I'm, I'm not expecting that Vanderbilt is going to be able to keep hitting those. Uh, you're going to need Austin to hit a couple. Yeah. D'Lo is certainly a swing player, though, because he's going to get those looks, too. And he's not going to be there. He's not really getting too far into the paint. He's been mostly relegated to the perimeter and so those those to me it's lebron and d'lo um those are kind of the two guys that they're going to take them and whether or not they go in or not you know may decide whether or not the lakers have to go home and get a game and get a win or if they can go home and get a rest yeah I, I absolutely think that's the case big shot making game for the lakers in game five let's uh swing our attention to the rest of the nba uh, it's been fun Jimmy Butler scores 56 points and Miami's up 3-1. Like you said, Atlanta came back. Trey hit a cold-blooded 30-footer to give them the win. Uh, got two games as we're recording this right now, now two barn burners. Where are we at right Mike? Uh, right now, Mike, on, on the two games? Well, the Wolves are about to lose. Uh, they were tied. They brought it to a, it was like 104-104 and then five straight points from Jokic. Um, right. like 20 seconds left. So that's one of those situations where everything would have to go wrong and, and we will update you. Not that you need to be updated because you're listening to this app. Oh, <laughs> Kylie just hit a three. So it's a two-point game with 19 seconds left. And then, you know, Phoenix is kind of slowly creeping back um, after tricking off the first half against a, essentially a, just a hardworking, 
rally around the flag, no Kawhi, no PG, you know, Clippers team that is just refusing to die, uh, and admirably so. Plus, you know, Ty Lue gets some credit for that. And but you know, I still I think like I think that these are both going to end up. They're both going to should end up. We'll see. Um, doing what Boston was unable to do, and the basic theory behind all of this is that there's That's no right. dominant team right now. The, the team that was playing the most dominant basketball heading into the postseason was the Bucks. They're down three, one because of the mix of Giannis injury and Jimmy Butler going nuts. Ooh. And I still am going to pick the Bucks in that series. Anyway, uh, it's a, uh, which, which, you know, it's, that's assuming two home wins. And then they just basically have to win that game six in Miami and hope that Jimmy doesn't go for 56 again, which he's going to have to do uh, if Miami's going to get a win. But what's what's the top line item for you, Darius, as you've been bouncing around these NBA playoffs? So I think the series to watch has been the Golden State Sacramento series, and that has been one hell so much fun. of a series. And, and two teams that are sort of mirror images of each other offensively, they um, run similar si- – systems mike mike brown took a lot of what he learned from steve kerr offensively and applied it to a super talented um offensively talented kings kings team and then he has brought that mike brown playoff energy defensively to this group and has them coached up well in understanding what the other team is trying to do against them offensively and has them competing. And so that to me has been the series to watch. It's the series I'm most interested in seeing what happens in this game five. That is the swing game. Golden State has been so terrible on the road all season, Pete, but this is, these are the Warriors. There's a certain amount of, um, grace that I think all analysts give them based off of their history. And I think that that's well deserved. Um, And it's, I can't wait to see what happens like with their game. Well, I won't be, in fact, we will be watching probably right because the Lakers game is the appetizer to that game or the main course and the Warriors are the dessert that game. So, so where are you at with, around the league. Is that the series that stands out to you as well? Yeah, let's stay there. Let's stay there. Yeah. Unfortunately, De'Aaron Fox, you know, fractured his left index finger on, you know, his shooting hand. He's going to give it a go and try to play. We'll see how that goes. Ja obviously came back and has looked okay, although he had a couple of falls in last night's game. Of course, played with an avulsion fracture for like a whole season. (laughs) But I mean, he's Kobe. That's right. So that's right. And yeah, it, it's it's not quite the same in terms of playing through those uh, as as it used to be, um, but uh, yeah that that mirror image thing that you were talking about and that whole Golden State likes to play they break teams by playing faster than them and it's just a style of the play where Sacramento's like all right this is what we do they're number one in the league in pace they love playing the style of basketball that Golden State likes to play I've had so much fun cheering on Malik Monk <laughs> in particular who's been all about the postseason as a scorer and seeing the players around the league that are like postseason scorers they all play with a certain amount of force if they're small like Malik or a bigger guy like Rui, there's a certain amount of just oomph that you need to be able to really be a productive scorer, I think, at this level of basketball. And so seeing Malik bring that out, it's been super fun. Barnes had 
the three to to win it possibly to go up three one, but uh, that was all for naught. But yeah, they've been a a, a bad. Uh, defensive team in particular on the road and that's been one of the storylines of the season Mike and so curious your thoughts on this series the Sacramento Golden State series it's if the Lakers get through this the winner of that would be our next opponent yeah I came I came in probably even a little bit too disrespectful of Sacramento and and just for not believing in the defense you know like of course the offense is great but the way that they play defense all regular season does not cut it in a typical playoff series, and especially when you face a team like Golden State. But I think what that ignored was part of what Darius mentioned. And, you know, Mike Brown's having a specific plan against the team that he was an assistant coach on for many years. And I think I mentioned this probably last week on the pod, but where Sacramento was super susceptible is the place where yes. the Lakers or the Grizzlies could kill them. And that's at the rim where Golden State does not. And Golden State, it's this weird thing with Golden State because they used to get a lot of points in the paint because you had to overplay their shooters so much. But that has slipped some uh, this year. And Clay's not getting in there much. Jordan Poole can, but hasn't a ton. Draymond and Looney, yeah, Looney's on the offensive glass and he's putbacks, but not not like attacking the rim. And even Steph, they're like this is where they're basically playing box in one on Steph half the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so he's still been amazing, but it's it's harder to, to it at a minimum, it's harder to get into the teeth of the defense and the paint um in a box in one type situation. So I I still ex- I've expected all along, I think I said Warriors and six before the series started. And you know, I still think that that could very well happen. I think that Golden State, they always win one game on the road. And why wouldn't it be game five? And then, I, you know, I'm certainly not picking Sacramento going back to the to San Francisco in game six. But I, I do want to give the Kings a little bit more respect. Uh, it's just that I still I cannot until I see it. I cannot buy an extended run for a team that has Sabonis and Barnes at the four and the five. And not even the best point of attack defenders other than you know Davion Mitchell, who they bring off the bench. Um, Fox is Fox has definitely ascended a step though. And like, that's the one difference I think where he is, he is now firmly into that all NBA Mm -hmm. type group that I don't know that I, that I fully bought until seeing it at this level. Uh, But I've just, I've had a problem buying into essentially Sabonis at the five. Sure. Right. And that's, that's been my issue. And um, I, I still will ride behind that and think that the Warriors have enough to beat them in the series. Well, Pete, Mike, I think was talking about Sabonis at, at the five defensively, not offensively, but it's been his offense, yeah. I think, that has hurt the Kings. Yeah, they, Draymond and Looney have shut him. So have I just wanted of, to yeah, like bring that idea up too. to you too, Pete, that's just like, this is where Golden State, I think, is showing that they still have, if they even if they're not scoring at the rim offensively as much as they used to, they still have the ability to protect the rim at times against very specific sorts of of matchups and um Sabonis has been limited and I think that for the same in the same way that we were talking about shooting potentially swinging a game in the Lakers Grizzlies series I think um Sabonis is that swing player where if he could get back to a single game where he looks like the player that he was during the regular season and scoring efficiently and and effectively I think that could swing a game for them um but we haven't seen it thus far so uh, like are you with mike you giving the warriors the edge here even though they've got to win two out of the next three with at least one of those being a road win it 
it's going to hinge entirely on what level Fox can get to. Um, if Fox were 100% or can approximate that even with his injury, which I think is probably unlikely, it's a fracture on, on his finger, you know, on his on his shooting hand. I like I thought that they were right there with Golden State in game four. I thought Golden State got a really nice whistle in the first half of, of that game three in particular. And there wasn't a point where they were just running the Kings off of the floor and we're deep enough into the yeah. series where like, we'd know that by now. And I think that whole idea, I agree with you ultimately, Mike, in terms of the, the, can a team like Sacramento go all the way? Can you do that with a guy like Sabonis at the five? I don't think so. I think that you're going to have to have a degree of rim protection, rim protection and interior presence that you just can't get to with Sabonis there. But like you said, Golden State doesn't really put that that pressure on them. And so, yeah, that's a great styles make fights type of series where both teams really like playing a certain way. And I'm looking forward to watching that after the, the Laker game tomorrow. Mike, any other series you want to uh, give a little focus to? Well, so so Denver moves on um, as we, you know, Edwards missed a game tying three um, as we were recording. And the Suns have started to take control. They're on like a 20 to seven run and they should, you know, close out the Clippers. So. If they don't, I still I don't think that the Clippers without George and without Kawhi, you know, we're expecting that they'll win either six or seven. So I'm just curious for a couple of early Suns Nuggets takes from you guys. I tend to lean towards Phoenix uh, just for some of the same reasons that I just said uh, in that I don't trust Denver to be able to really protect the rim and to kind of keep them from scoring, even if they you know, Jokic just provides a different kind of challenge. But I, I think that Aiden has held up okay against Jokic relative to some other players before. And I, I think that that's a pretty even series, but I would give that nod to Phoenix and wonder if you guys have any leanings. Again, assuming and not disrespecting the Clippers having a chance to win three straight, but they're, you know, this game right now has been kind of going downhill towards the Suns. So in terms of potential Phoenix Denver, I I'd give a slight edge to Denver in that one. Um, although the point is well made about Aiton being a good matchup for uh for Jokic. There's that Jokic not being able to protect the rim beyond a certain level, or I, it's more to me the perimeter that can he step out and contest Chris Paul, or I mean, can contest Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and CP3, their pull-up jump shooters. That's you know, a, a way that they've lost to the Warriors in the past, D. Now, I think Phoenix is more of a mid-range team and Golden State's more of a three-point shooting team. Obviously, they're both good at, at both things, but I, in terms of the areas that Jokic will have to get out to, I think it's that's more of a question. But I also think Denver has a strength advantage that just Phoenix is at a deficit in this respect, and it's why this Clippers series, despite the talent differential, the Clippers have a bunch of strong dudes, and I think that between Jokic and Aaron Gordon and even perimeter guys like Bruce Brown and, you know, they've got a decent amount of size. I re- really like Christian Brown off the bench. Um, they've got a, a, an amount of strength and athleticism that I think can give Phoenix some issues. Yeah, I'm interested to see what the matchups of the benches look like. Historically, the Nuggets have not done well when mm-hmm. Jokic has not been in the game. It, it's it's been one of the drivers of his MVP cases um, in in past seasons because his his plus minus is so strong, and that's what happens when your backup is DeAndre Jordan or some other guy who is not an effective basketball player at this stage of his career. But Denver has held up 
in their bench units in this first round series much better than what was anticipated. And Phoenix is not a deep well, team. They, just for reference, they basically didn't play a bench uh, in their t- so they played they played Bruce Brown thirty minutes off the bench. They played Jeff Green nineteen, Christian Braun nine, and that's it. Tight eight man Murray played forty one, Jokic played forty two, Porter played thirty nine. Gordon 34 and KCP 26. So they're, they're down like in the, those are the only guys that he trusts. And for, for all of the talk about Phoenix, like Bianco can give you 10 minutes, give you defense, like a Kogi can come, a Koji can come in and give you some minutes. Um, I like Craig campaign played his first game today. So I, I do think that on the margins, Denver might be one of the few teams that Phoenix is actually deeper than. Uh, and, and I think that can go in their favor. I like some of the defensive matchups that can skew towards Denver in all of the places except for Jokic because the lift on Jokic is going to be so heavy. So I like Gordon um, defensively either on Durant or in lineups when Durant sits potentially even defending Booker. Um, Like I like Bruce Brown defensively. I like KCP defensively. And I'm interested to see if Phoenix can come off playing a series of those guys going 40 minutes night after night after night against a physical Clippers team and then go into altitude and do the same thing when the other team has home court advantage this series. And and, and so I look at this more as a coin flip series. It wouldn't surprise me if the Kevin Durant. Come on, Switzerland, pick a side. Right now, I would probably lean Denver. I would probably lean Denver. There we go. Like, I just think Jokic is still one of those guys where it's like, oh man, this dude is unreal. And, but Durant is one of those, those dudes too. And I've been super impressed with, well, with Booker Pete, like, like it's razor thin. These margins, when, when you get to the second round, particularly with these two teams, I think that um, if, I think that if the Lakers had had the team that they have now for the entire season, I would look at the Lakers as favorites, but the Lakers should not be favorites when these other teams, especially Denver has done it for, well, well, for this long, but let the Lakers get to a conference finals and I might be changing my tune at that point, Mike, but, but that's like cart way before the horse. And I don't want to get in front of my skis. Yeah, the, and and so I'll I'll try to couch what I'm going to say here in this context, but I just think that the Lakers having had to deal with Memphis and their level of physicality, there isn't another team that we think is going to advance again. This this still assumes that Phoenix takes care of business. Denver having moved on, uh, and whoever comes out of the Golden State Sacramento, and I I would no longer go into games like that mm-hmm. thinking, man, like how are the Lakers going to survive? you know, the physicality that's going to be brought by the combination of Jackson Jr. and Bain and Roddy and Brooks and guys just coming, you know, and Ja. And so that's, that's, I think for the Lakers who we keep qualifying this have to take care of business. That part of things is enticing, you know, because it's uh, just from a physical standpoint, that to me is a, is, is going to be lacking some, in the Western Conference as for the teams that get into the semifinals. Let's dare to dream. It's there. 
and 18 is supposed to be the hardest one, right? And so the opportunity is there. And it's, I'm so grateful that the Lakers have found themselves in this position and have worked so hard to put themselves in this position. And no, nothing's guaranteed and there can always be an injury, right? There's all these things. Getting through the playoffs in the couple of months of, of this all the way to the end is a gauntlet. And so many things can happen along the way. But the Lakers have a chance and that's pretty cool. We will be back tomorrow uh, after game five to talk about it but until then you've been listening to laker film room podcast we'll catch you guys next time james has got it in low to mchale mchale wants to turn his double team just pass out of front broken up by worthy tip to magic worthy dies on his belly magic scores there's magic got it magic fires it's good they will lakers win the game the lakers win the game three seconds left that next to the winner it's on the way A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Miss it. seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.